All right, everybody, and welcome back to the Effort Over Everything podcast. I'm your host, Jason Kleep, and on today's episode, we blend a little bit of that business of fitness with this effort over everything with our guest, Elliot Marshall. Now, Elliot, he's not only a martial artist, he's a business owner, podcaster, author, husband, father, and we have a really great episode today. We dive into a variety of subjects, including what it's like owning and operating jujitsu schools during COVID, uh, how he saw a therapist and what it did for his mindset and how it shifted it, his thoughts on business as a whole, his thoughts on life as a whole, and this idea of luck. And we finish it off with what he's currently doing in the business space for additional gym owners, including jujitsu gym owners. So I hope you guys enjoy this episode. I really enjoyed this episode. Elliot's a super inspiring guy, great to talk to, really fun. And um, before we get into the episode, just want to remind you, if you haven't rated or reviewed this podcast, would appreciate it if you do. Let's all keep getting after it. Have a great day. I didn't even feel like it was the right thing to do. So you could have gotten PPP for your buildings, but yeah. you chose not to. So, mm-hmm. so for reference, you guys own multiple locations. You right. own the building in a few of them. You have landlords and other ones. But for the ones you actually own the buildings on, you yeah. chose not to pursue PPP through this really tough time. And you know, for us listening, for me as a as a business owner listening to that, I would see an opportunity to try and capture what the government is providing. And then I can go use that however I see fit, but you chose not to go that route. So I'm really curious on that. Let's talk about it. Well, because we talk about all the time that we have to stop all this waste, right? Like, oh, how are we ever going to come together again? And how are we going to, how are we going to fix this? But if we're all always just taking, taking advantage of the system and I'm not trying to fault anybody that did, you know, um, and we all have to take advantage of the system to a point, but I own my, like, you know, two of the buildings I own outright and I don't have a mortgage. So if I were to take that money, right. Uh, and there was people struggling to get the money, right. Like, especially that first round, like you were hearing about all these, you know, like McDonald's getting and everyone's bitching and moaning, (laughs) right. right? Like I would just be, I would be in that camp, right. I'd be part of the problem and not part of the solution. And we keep talking about all this government waste, but when it comes to our turn to take the government waste, we all take it. Like everyone takes it. Yeah, that's, that's a really interesting perspective, right? Like, so we, we're going to complain about inflation and, right. and this and that, but yet if there's an opportunity to get unemployment or what it may be. Now, if you need unemployment, if you need those support, but, but if there's things you don't necessarily need that you can get them, most people will take it. Right. But now, then at I, the same time, we'll complain about the more. Complain about it. I yeah. had to go on unemployment because we had to do this work share thing for the schools that made me have to go on unemployment. Now, when I missed my unemployment, I didn't like file prop, like, you know, they did not, I didn't like go through this whole process of making sure that I kept getting unemployment, but I had to be filed for unemployment and receive some benefits so that it would work for my whole company as a whole. I don't understand it, but that was the, what the CFO said. So, so I fucking said, yes. So you, you guys have seven locations going through COVID mm-hmm. it has probably created some adversity. I, I definitely want to talk about it from a business side, but I'll, yeah. I'll back up with you. So, yeah. you know, I've, I've, I've known you for quite a while and, you know, you started off, I was actually reading part of a, a bio that you got inspired by Karate Kid and you got into kind of martial arts back in the day and then sense. you found jiu-jitsu. But what I'm curious about is why did you make the pivot from, what was your initial martial art? Karate, just like a Korean karate. Like, like old school, like, old like school karate, karate karate. Yep. And so then you competed as a, uh, in, as a youth for how mm-hmm. many years? Oh, you know, from the time I was like seven or eight years old until I was like 17, 18. 
Really? Yeah. And so then what made you decide after going through karate for so long to shift to jujitsu? To shift to jujitsu? Okay. Yeah. So this is kind of a funny story. So um, in karate, there's no masters. Uh, there is a master's division, but it's like, uh, just like in jujitsu, right? But in karate, you fight your friends because it's just point sparring, right? Like it doesn't matter. And one of my good friends had dodged the, and he was good but he did the master's division. And I was like, oh, what are you fucking scared to come do like the, the, the grown man division? Like, why you got to go do the old dudes? And he was like, yeah, you think I'm scared? I was like, yeah, you're scared. You know, just punk kid Talking to, about you. to yeah. my friend. Yeah, you know? Right. And he's like, all right, come to my house. This is, so this is 1997 now? Yeah, 1997, the summer of 97. You know, he's like, yeah, come to my house. And I was like, next Friday. I was like, all right, cool, no problem. And I go and I had no clue what jujitsu was. I had no clue he was doing jujitsu and he whooped my <laughs> ass. So this was your, your buddy in karate, right? You because yep. explain to me the, the point system, almost like Taekwondo, it's like these fast hits and you get points for basic just touch, touches, right? You touch basic touches. I could have hit you hard, right? Maybe. <laughs> so I, I just from a self-defense perspective, because you did it for so long, um, would you recommend, like, if you had to recommend someone getting into a martial art at a youth, at a younger age, did you like karate because of the discipline, et cetera, et cetera? Okay. So that end of it is great. That okay. end is great. Like the yeah. discipline, but look, karate, uh, most karate has become bullshit now, man. You know, like it's all about the gym owner trying to make money, testing fees. Uh, you have to wear this like this, like, uh, and, and I'm, look, you and I are both owners of, you know, what what you would call boutique fitness, right? Right, Like in the boutique fitness industry. Uh, so I understand, like, I want to make money too, but I, I don't want to, it's just, if it doesn't feel good to me, then I don't, I don't want to do it. You know, if I can't put my head down on the pillow and that's what most karate has become, right. Really? Is this really expensive uh, and they can't, they can't even defend themselves because they have no clue what it's like to actually be in a fight. Like you can't mimic a fight unless you fight. So point sparring doesn't doing, doesn't man, dude, I'm a ninja on the pads still. Like I'll hit pads like a motherfucker. Please don't make me get punched in the face. <laughs> you know? So you're talking smack to this guy you've been doing karate with for point yeah. system. And then what? You just show up to his garage. What happens? You're just like, but you're expecting to do some karate. I'm expecting right? to do some karate. And then what? He just takes you down. He just takes me down. You know, but we agreed to do whatever. We agreed that like the fight went where the fight went. I'm bigger than him, right? Like he's 160, 170 pounds. I'm 210 pounds, 200, somewhere in there, right? So I'm like, all right, if I get on top, I'm going to be fine. You know, I didn't care. I'm 17. He's 30. Mm-mm. Oh, yeah. So he was. And so then what happens then? Boom, you got the bug. And, and then I was like, started. oh, my God, this is not cool. Like, I can't, I can't get, I can't let that happen. And then so you started rolling. And that so was it. Yeah. No, I didn't start then, right? Like, uh, because you got to remember, it's 97 now. So there's not a lot of schools. Mm. And I'm in like this little town in South Jersey where the closest schools in Philly, and I have high school. And, and again, it's not like everyone relates it to now, right? Like, because you got to remember, uh, transportation wasn't so easy. Yeah, you couldn't <laughs> just Uber there or whatever. Yeah, it, yeah. yeah. you know, it, 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 you didn't get like... To go to to go down the street, you had to walk or whatever it was, right? Like there was no Uber, there was no none of this. So um public transportation wasn't a thing in my town. Uh so yeah, I mean I just picked up what I could and then I moved to Colorado and I meet Amal, my my jujitsu teacher, and then I just go on this path where 
of, of getting really good. You know, for the first year of, of college, uh, I, I trained a little bit, then I got hurt, but you know, I also got a girlfriend. Yeah. So like my first real slows girlfriend, so bit, like yeah. slow thing, like, whoa, whoa, <laughs> yeah. what is this? You yeah. know? Um, and then after that, uh, you know, she broke up with me my sophomore year and I heard he opened a school like his own place, because he was teaching out of a karate school, but that was a lot how it worked back then. Right. Yeah. In the, in the late nineties. So karate was everywhere. Karate. That's right. And then yeah. you were almost a part of that. And then, would you say, I mean, you almost caught jujitsu at right before it started. Cause it really, jujitsu has been blowing up for like the last, what, what would you say? Like 10 years. And UFC probably had a lot to do with that. Right. Yeah, 208, 2008. So in 2000, so then you started rolling jujitsu and then when did you ultimate fighter was like mid two thousands, right? So look, no one's had a luckier life than me. <laughs> That's a great uh, perspective to have, no, by the way. No one's had a luckier life because um, I was so lucky that I got to work really hard. First of all, that's the first luck point and that my hard work actually paid off. This is just how I see the world because like when you, when, when like this word deserve, like I worked so hard and I deserve, man, do you know how hard the fucking 18 year old kid over in India is working right now? Trying to just get a cup of water right? Just to get a cup of water, a roof over his head. He, look, you work hard and I work hard. He's working 10 times as hard. Yeah. Right? It's He's a totally working. different type of right. perspective. Right. So deserve, get the fuck out of here. Get out of here with deserve. You don't, you, we deserve nothing. Okay. Now as other than to be human and to live. Okay. And, and I would like to say that we deserve to have equal rights, things like that, you know, but deserve success, man, because of your hard work. So I was lucky enough to be able to work really hard and have it pay off. That's so you're in, yeah. So how did, but so, so talk me through that. Cause I almost look at a little bit of your career as, as a mm -hmm. little bit parallel to mine. So, you know, so you talk about work no, and luck. You're right? a champion. I'm not a champ. I was not a champion. Well, like so in, in the sport, right. But we talk about work and luck though. Right. right? So I was working hard and I got lucky to be introduced to CrossFit early on. And the competition happened to be close by my house. I'm like, let's go do it. And then boom, it sparked this whole career of competing because I won the CrossFit Games. But then as CrossFit grew, I kind of worked with it. But you almost kind of did the similar thing with jujitsu and mm -hmm. UFC and fighting. Mm -hmm. You kind of saw this thing grow from not the beginning, but close to the beginning. I mean, right? I was in pretty early for America. Yeah, you know? for America. For America I, was, I was in pretty early. And the thing that, uh, you know, another aspect of this luck thing. So when I found out that I'm all open to zone school, I mean, look, we're just going to go through this luck thing. Uh, I go down to the school and be like, yo, I don't have any money still. <laughs> You're a remember? college student. You got to yeah. pay for your girlfriend, you know. <laughs> she, no, she broke up with me. Oh, so oh at for, this point. I had to pay for my alcohol. Okay. Um, <laughs> right, you know. But so you think, you know, like, so you think. Uh, and he was like, and I was like, yo, can I clean? And he was like, dude, it's your lucky day. My cleaner literally quit two hours ago. So boom, there that is. Now, more luck. Amal is trying to still get good, but he's only a purple belt. And purple mm -hmm. belt, you got to think now, it's not what it is now. Purple belt in the late 90s, early 2000s is a god in America. Mm -hmm. Like there's, there's not a lot of black belts outside of the coasts, right? Florida, California, New York, where Henzo was, black belts, okay? But in the mid-America, mid, mid -America, 
and, and we're calling mid America anywhere outside of Florida. So California, those three New places, York, yeah. right? Yeah. There's no black belts. So I had a, I had a purple belt who had connection to Brazil because he lived in Brazil for five years that was still trying to get good. So he would just call us like our little crew and be like, yo, let's train outside of classes. So I got a degree in jujitsu. Somehow I got a math degree too. I don't even know how, right. You know, but I got a degree in fighting jujitsu. So, and I got all of this special attention from someone who had direct, I mean, his teacher was Henzo. He lived with Henzo in Brazil. So from someone who had direct connection and friends with Henzo Gracie. Yeah, that's cool. So you talk and now about I that. get to go. Look, Henzo's my friend. Yeah. I have Henzo's number. He calls me like, and I know there's a lot of drama around Henzo right now. Right. But, but still like coming up through, like I, I had that kind of connection, you know? That's so like you talk about luck, right? But it's almost like doors that open up and you got to kind of know which ones to go in and which ones not. And I'm sure like in business, you've probably seen this too, mm-hmm. where for me, it's like an opportunity shows up and I used to say yes to everything, right? I used to. And then right. all of a sudden you realize, man, maybe, maybe we need to know when not to walk through that door. Um, but I mean, so it, it took a lot of your foresight, right? To realize, well, hey, what were good decisions and what weren't, obviously, when you went to the school. Now you get to- you right get, spot. Yeah, you get to look at things you know, you get that you gain wisdom, hopefully, and knowledge, and then you use it, right? You have to have a good head on your shoulders, okay? You have to think critically, and you have to know when to jump on something. And if yeah. you do these things, then, then your luck can, keeps going, you know? And then, right. and again, it's, again, it, for me, it's just, and, and people get so mad about the word luck, but it's the luck to be able to keep working so fucking hard. That's how I see it. Because all I want to, if, if you give me the opportunity, I will make it happen. I will always bet on myself. There's no one else, like, there's no one else that I'll say, yes, I'm fucking 100% in on. Well, a lot of people, you know, Guy Raz has a show called How I Built This. And at the end of it, he yep. always asks, like, hey, so how much of it was luck? How much of it was hard work? And most people always say it's a combination of both. Most people. Right. Very few people say, oh, it was all me. Very few. It's right. just right time, right place, right, right hard work and right opportunity you walk through the door on. Like, so speaking of which the ultimate fighter, would you say that was like the thing that kind of catapulted you into the career of fighting or it was yeah. just something else? So I was fighting, right? Yeah. I of was course. fighting. Yeah. Uh, and, but the ultimate fighter is the fucking like, you know, 2007, I think this was, you know, when we film, Oh wait. Right. So, you, you know, yeah. Yes. What season of the Ultimate Fighter? It was seven? I was season eight, so I was pretty season early eight. on. So pretty yeah. early on, and pretty so then, on. so what's it like being on on the Ultimate? Like, what is it like being in a house full of people that are all fighters? Because- it depends. <laughs> it depends on where you are. It depends on your station of life, right? So I was married. We owned a house. I was by no means. Was I? Yeah, my wife was a nurse at the time. So yeah, look, we weren't. Like I couldn't have filet mignon every night, but if I wanted a filet mignon once a week, I could have a filet mignon. Okay. Uh, so that was my station. Now, some dudes, most of the dudes were like living on the couch with their homies or in their mom's basement. So for them, it was great because you got whatever food you wanted, right? Like all the alcohol you wanted. Uh, and they're just like, Oh my, like, you know, it was like a, it was like a vacation. It was or, like or, a vacation for some. Right. Now for some of us, it wasn't a vacation for me. I was in the, I was in, I was some of the worst six weeks of my life. 
because you were in a house with away from your wife for six weeks, just away throwing from the down people. Yeah. No, look, by the end of it, everyone hates it. By the end of it, everyone fucking hates it because no, no communication is a weird thing, man. Like no connection to outside is a weird thing. Like to have your life stripped away where you can't go to the grocery store. You can't, it's like jail, but there's no TV. You get no, I can remember acting and faking being sick on day on my rest days so that I could go to the doctor and just sit there and watch TV and read magazines. Like they'd call my name and I'd give my spot up. I'd be like, no, no, no. Let this person go ahead of me. Just to get out of the house. Just just because there was no other way to get out of the house. Oh, man, that's an interesting perspective because you don't realize it until you can't do it, right? Like, like the luxuries that we have when, and then all of a sudden you can't watch TV, you can't leave the house. You like, you start feeling. We couldn't like listen to music. Almost. We couldn't, we couldn't listen, listen to music. music. No, we couldn't listen to music. We couldn't read books, man. Why not? Because then we would sit there and listen to music all day, and we wouldn't interact with each other. Oh, and then drama. They want to try and create uh, some type of drama or some type of show. They don't want to create it. They want to create the atmosphere for it. Right. Right. Yeah. They want to create the atmosphere for it. Right. And so, look, the, the ultimate fighter goes mm-hmm. not perfect, but it goes okay, right? It goes good. It goes good enough that you good get enough. time for UFC, good enough. right? Yeah. Good enough. And so, you know, many people have never, most people, I should say, have never walked into an octagon and got into a fight with someone. I'd yeah. say 99.9% of people haven't. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I know the emotions are, are, are super strong there. You think any of the guys, I was listening to a TED Talk you talked about, you think any of the guys have been skilled enough to, is everybody afraid? Is everybody, I mean, it, but they compartmentalize 100%. like, I mean, it, cause it's nerve wracking, right? You're going in to throw it to throw down and you don't know what they're going to do. And you, you know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not, you don't know the event because you know, you don't know what your, your opponent's going to do. And so, so what, what's that emotion like kind of going up there and then how do you compartmentalize it? Cause you fought many times, not even just in the UFC, so right. I imagine over time you got better about kind of harnessing it. Otherwise you'd just be freaking out. Right. I didn't. Right. And this, this was the downfall of me, you know, um, is, is that I didn't. And we, we can get into that part in a second. Everyone's scared. Everyone's scared. So like, that was one good thing about the ultimate fighter is you got to see how scared everyone was because you can't hide it 24 seven. So you would, so you would see guys who are getting ready for a all of us. All yeah. of you would just all be kind of nervous, anxious, all yeah. of that. It's just now normal. The, the Conor McGregor stuff, whatever he does, right? His antics and things like that. Like that's, that's what you see when he comes out of his hotel room. You don't know what the inside the hotel room looks like. Right. Right. And, and again, just, yeah, that's just him. How his bravado is how he hides his fear. It's how he deals with his fear. Yeah. But I wonder if fear in that particular case kind of, is a, I mean, a little bit of it's a, probably a good thing, right? Not oh, you need it. If you're not scared, oh my God, if you're not scared, you're fucked. You have to be a little bit scared, There's right? There's got to be a little fear. Your life's on the line, man. Yeah, because, <laughs> yeah, so I was listening to your, um, your TED uh, talk and I was, I was, I was interested because you, you started talking about this idea of anxiety and mm-hmm. there's a lot of anxiousness when you're going up for an event in front of a bunch of people. Mm-hmm. For me, I've competed but I've never competed. I mean, aside from like, you know, basic jujitsu, which is totally different than what we're talking about here at UFC is, is you're going in, you're really trying to not necessarily kill each other, but like, you're really trying to hurt each other. And that anxiousness, I imagine is at a whole different level than what anybody else has felt. And so, you know, compartmentalizing it, 
you talk about talking to a therapist and I, I, I had a sports therapist for a really long time and it was profoundly impactful on me. And I'm curious what type of takeaways you've had working with a sports therapist or whatnot that have really helped you because maybe other people can use those same tools. So I see a therapist still to this day. So right. I, I've, I've had my therapist. Um, and if it were up to me right now, because of COVID, she, she, the scheduling's off. But since, so since COVID it's been every other week, but I go to therapy when, when this all ends, I'm going to go every week. And that's what I did before COVID. And that's what I plan to do after. Um, it's very good for me. Um, and this is what I'll say about therapy for me. I went in crisis originally because I was in a, a very intense, acute um, anxiety period and I needed help. I needed help right now. And we did that and we handled that. And that took about nine months. Um, but I am a person who experiences anxiety, um, my upbringing, my background, all of that. So I, I have to, uh, I have to brush my teeth every day. Right. And that's why, that's how I see therapy. Like if your teeth were rotting out of your mouth right now, brushing your teeth would do nothing. Right. Nothing. Right. Why do you brush your teeth so that they don't get to rotting out of your mouth? Right. Right. So that's how I see therapy. I, I do therapy so that I don't fall apart so that when I start to fall apart, maybe a little bit, I'm like, Oh, okay, here we go. We're, we're putting the pieces back together. Right. We're picking them you're, up you're early. Getting ahead of it before it gets too late. And yes. So, you know, when people think about therapy, and I think as of recently, or maybe the last, like, I don't know, maybe five years, it's became a little less fluffy, right? Mm -hmm. um, but I mean, for me, when I, when I started getting introduced to it in this, I, call, I say sports therapists, but at the end of the day, man, they're just someone that's helping you with everything in your life. Maybe mm -hmm. I'm just for sake of like me trying to feel more masculine about it. I don't know. I always say sports therapist, but it's because I hired this person specifically for sport, but it helped me in all other areas. But I'm really curious, um, like from a therapy perspective, I mean, I think that it's, a, it's been profoundly impactful for our family, right? My wife, myself, my daughter even. Um, and there's something about talking things through and then that's helped in, on a re reoccurring basis. I mean, is that really what it is for you? It's just every week just having an opportunity to just kind of talk. I just verbal vomit basically. Right. And she asks questions. And if, if, if she hears something, she goes, explain that again. And I'm like, Oh, here's where we're going to stick. Right. Like we're going to stay here. Uh, she's not my friend. I love her greatly and she loves me, but it's a different way. Mm. Right. Like it's, we've been, we've been together quote unquote for five years now, right. you know, and she knows everything about my life, but she, but it doesn't affect her. Because everyone else in your life that you'll tell something to, it affects them. Like your wife, you fucking love your wife, right? You love your wife like to death, your mom, ever, all these people. But how, how you go, they go a little bit. It's very tied. Mm, yeah. And the therapist isn't, we're only tied for this hour. I've never gone to coffee with her. I've never gone to dinner with her. I've never even seen her out in public. And if I did, we would wave and say hello and then walk right by. Because so that's, that's, the relationship. that's the relationship. And that's what makes it so impactful. That's what makes it work. That's, that's what, what makes, makes it work. work. Because we have this, like, you know, I hate to say it like this, but it's a circle of trusts. Right. And we only do this thing together. And we so when only you're do, looking like, for someone to kind of like, so the signs for you that you needed to talk to someone, obviously you're getting excessive amounts of just anxiety, couldn't sleep. Yours is a little bit racked. more like, hey man, My, you're rocked. But I mean, yeah. if, even if you started feeling these signs earlier, how would you go about finding um, 
in your in your opinion um the right therapist um what what, what kind of things are you looking for because you've been going a lot longer than i could say i i had exposure so i'm curious your thoughts there in this period of acuteness anxiety like it didn't work i, I saw some people it didn't work like um look, you and I are homies, right? If I need to call, like for some reason, I can't do a dude. Because if I need to call someone, I'll call you. You're my homie, right? <laughs> like I'm not talking to a dude. My, I, I have dudes, you know? Right. For some reason, I need this older female and that's what I learned worked for me. And you tried out a, a few of them. I tried out them. a couple of people. I'm like, yeah, I'm not fucking talking to you. Yeah, I'm not talking to you, right? Like I tried talking to them and I'm like, yeah, I'll never fucking tell you anything. And for some reason, I sat down with this lady. I was like, whoa. Wow. Yeah, that's cool. I mean, I think, you know, for like me, one of the, yeah, I mean, one of the biggest things for me when I was competing professionally, this guy had me kind of like create two circles and understand what's in my control versus out of my control. And it was just really, really that like one nugget, you know, it's like listening to a podcast, you pick up one nugget. It's like, wow, that could be really profound. It's funny because you could be sitting down with this person talking for hours and they could say one thing that really has a big impact. A hundred percent like that. Yeah. She never really says that much. She writes more you talk. <laughs> she doesn't say that much, but when she talks, it's like fucking the heavens opened up. You know, I'm like, right. oh, hey. So, so kind of, you know, look, you, you had a, uh, your career in the UFC had highs and lows. And obviously, you know, it's an extreme example of a career path. Very extreme. Because it's not like you're just showing up nine to five. You're, you're kind of preparing for this giant, giant event. And so, you know, looking at now your traditional nine to five, for lack of a better term, right? right. You own a chain or a group of gyms, uh, specifically jiu-jitsu gyms. And COVID, you talk about adversity, right? So you're getting hit with adversity when you're in the ultimate fighter house. You're getting hit with adversity when you're losing a fight. But I mean, now you're talking about your business and you guys had to shut down and you guys have done a bunch of pivots. So I'm curious, what have you guys done as a business to kind of navigate through COVID um, and kind of lessons learned through that, because I, I'm sure you have some knowing that your staff, your members, and then your locations, all that kind of stuff. So um, COVID was super interesting. And I probably would have handled it differently if I had one school versus seven. Mm. Right? If I was the one person running the school and yada, yada, things like that. Right. Um, but with seven schools, you have, you know, and one is up in Boulder, which is like, more, way more liberal than I would like, you know, and one is down in Castle Rock, which is way more conservative than I would like. So we have people in both and employees that live in both. Right. Right. So we can't just have this, like this, like real liberal stance or real conservative stance. Um, we had to find uh, some flux and everyone had to compromise. You know, your, your staff, your members, our staff, anyway. our members, everything. There had to be some compromise. Uh, but that's part of our core values. You know, yeah. that's part of the values that we hold and, and we know what they are. And, and that's what it is. We, ha we have to work together. And the big thing with the schools was community. Right. And, so were and, you guys able to keep your your membership, you know, intact? What were your 50 uh, percent? Yeah. What were your kind of like your position there? Because jujitsu, you know, for us with our with our gyms, it was very difficult for us to retain people at two hundred dollars a month or whatever it is when you couldn't provide that service. Right. right. That's tough. And you could provide online service, but it's not exactly the same in fitness and it's definitely not the same in jujitsu. So what is that? I mean, I guess you were able to retain some people to do being closed. And then we reopened. 
you not everybody was ready to run back but I, but how is it today versus you know right when you reopen so we're good we're, yeah. we made it well we, we made it through um due to an amazing staff yeah. right an amazing staff and an amazing community um to all the gym owners or, or jujitsu school owners you have to uh create something from my perspective where uh they love the thing like they love jujitsu right but what they love more with us is easton they right love the they, they love, love the they, they love the, the culture people. they love the people right like that that is the that's the key because if you can create that then uh they need it to you and them need it to be there when 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 whatever ends right like and, and, and this takes work. This takes a lot of work on, uh, you know, the Jason Kalipas of the world and the, and the Elliot Marshalls of the world. Because a lot of times, look, you were successful. I was successful in our sport, right? And we sometimes uh, can see it as, and I did see it like this until I had my breakdown, spiritual awakening thing that I, in 16, I was like, man, these, do, these people are kind of lucky to get to train from, learn from me. Like I've done a lot. Right. That was your I, perspective before you realized before, that yeah. no one owes and, you anything. No, nope, right. <laughs> yeah. You know, and this was part of like, uh, and look, we, we can tie this all back to my childhood and my upbringing. Um, but what I had to make this shift of is like, man, you know, I'm the lucky one. It's my privilege that anybody, that anybody, anybody in the whole world, I don't care who they are would give up an hour of their time, which they can never get back because you can make more money and you can buy a bigger house and you can eat nicer. Like you can do all of this stuff. The only asset we can't get back is time. So why would anyone choose to share their time, spend their time listening or learning jujitsu from me? So it's my privilege. It's not their privilege that I'm good at jujitsu and, and that I've accomplished and blah, blah, blah. It's mine. If, holy fuck, is it my privilege? Yeah. So that shift in mindset, right? That shift of, uh, uh, man, I eat shit, I eat shit and die like everybody else. Uh, and so do they. So how do we make this existence together more skillful? And so, you know, what you talk about your childhood, but like what in particular kind of drew that? So when I won the CrossFit Games, I happened to open a school like a week before I won the CrossFit Games. So, right. so there was a lot of that, like, oh, people are going to come because of your background. Mm -hmm. But what I learned. <laughs> they come, I'm maybe. A, yeah, they, could, they might come, but they're not going to stay if you, if you, if just for your reputation, whatever it is, right? You got to treat them like you're, you're talking about. So I guess what I'm curious about is like, for many years, did you kind of work it like, hey, it's almost like a, a, a privilege to be in our spot. And then how is that working for you from a business perspective? Because I'm curious how you could build a successful business with that type of attitude or did other people step up or, or what was We that? all did. We all bought in because the people who helped get me out of my acute intense anxiety are, they were my GMs at the time, you know, mm -hmm. two of my GMs who were, who were really close and now they're a CEO and vice president. Uh, so we, we all like, it was a big shift for the, for us it was a big shift. Like we, I think we realized how much we loved each other and leaned on each other. So it, it just changed the culture a little bit. And then like, look, you're, I'm not going to try to say that I wasn't at the top. Right. So when the person you were at the top, you were I was at the top. top. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you know? So, but when I start to be, when I start to get my shit together, 
right? When I start, when, when, when I start becoming more skillful as a human being and start to open up about all of these insecurities that I have, all of these vulnerabilities that I have, all of these, like, uh, how I feel that I'm not enough. Mm. It gave some space for everyone to, to take a deep breath below me, right? The students to be like, yo, okay. You know, um, the, the culture in the school, it didn't have, you know, it, it just, they just shifted a little bit, you know, they just shifted a little because that's, you know, and, and then the dudes at the bottom, right? Like when the, like the, my lower level employees, right. It, it just, it, it just shifted them. And it was just uh, right, right place, right time, a lot of timing, you know? And so in 16, is that when you guys started opening more locations? No, we already had three at that point, four. And now since then we have, we, we've acquired a couple more and opened one, two more. So um, my, look, when my life crumbled, it was great. There was no problem. I had no problems, like real problems, except for the fact that I never dealt with myself. Yeah. I had never dealt with the demon that was, that was buried, you know, and I buried it through fighting and I buried it through my whole life. Um, I had never like, and, and that demon was that I wasn't safe and that I wasn't enough because I grew up with uh, a, a dad who grew up during civil rights and my grandparents who I spent a lot of time with, they were Holocaust survivors, concentration camp. So to them, the world wasn't safe, right? The world was not safe. Hitler was always coming again or you, or, you know, you were going to be hung from a fucking tree. This is how I grew up. Like dude today, still to this day, my dad will tell me, be careful, Elliot. And I'm and like, cause he can't get out of that mindset. Right. That was too long of his life. And I live in a really safe fucking place, bro. You know? So, uh, that was my experience. And then it came true because the neighborhood that we moved to when I was like eight years old, uh, you know, swastikas. Cause you had a buy bir- like your, your family. My was. dad's, my dad's You're- black. My mom's white. And my mom's yeah. a Jew. Right. <laughs> Which, so I mean, you just didn't exist. I have it all except time. gay. Yeah, no, right. Like yeah. back, you know, I mean, got to go back forty years. That's this right. wasn't a thing. When it's a thing now, right? But it wasn't it's, a thing forty years ago. Wow. So yeah. like, my house was getting spray painted with swastikas, and they, you know, they would spell, you know, the first couple of times they spelled the wrong, the word wrong, it would be Niger's leave or Niger's go home. They forgot the other G. Um, but this was my life. So not only was I not what not only was I told that I wasn't going to be safe, it actually happened. Right? It happened. Like I was not right. safe. I had I did not have friends. Um I could play outside with kids, but I wasn't allowed inside of their house. Right? Like if we wanted water, like they had to bring me water or I had to get it we had to get it from the hose because I couldn't go in their fucking house because of who I was. So Elliot was always not enough. Right? Because that was my life. Fast forward now to 1997, where I do this jujitsu stuff, where I learn this jujitsu stuff a little bit over the summer, right? After my friend beats me up and I learn a little bit. And now uh, I go back to school and I'm talking about it a little bit. And some of the wrestlers hear about it and they're like, yo, let's get on the fucking mat. We're going to, we're going to beat the fuck out of you. And that's not what happened, you know, and they were state champs and I choked them out. People saw it. A couple yeah. people saw it. Yeah, Some people heard about it. Not a lot, but Elliot started to get a little more popular. So now what do I do? I associate, I start to have some friends. Um, I associate safety, friendship, security with being tough. Kind of like violence or just, just 
beating people up, right? Like right. I don't go beat people, but I'm like, so literally like two days later, I'm like, oh, I'm going to fight in the UFC. And that's what I said, 17, 18 years old, because why not, man? This yeah. is the only way. So then I live like, okay, here we go. We're going to fight in the UFC. But now fighting has a lot more to do for me than just fighting. Right. It's right? part it's, of your identity. It's part of, it's, it's the only way that I can feel safe and people will love and accept me is I have to win fights. So we're not talking about just money anymore. We're not talking about just like the normal stuff. We're talking about the only way that I'm going to be loved and felt enough as a person is if I win these fights. If I lose these fights, then I'll be where I'll be back to this kid alone with his house getting spray painted and yada, yada. So it was a lot of that. That was a massive amount of pressure Dude, that, that I couldn't crazy? live up to. First off, your upbringing, your background is really unique for, especially at the time. Right. Right. Um, but it's, it's really interesting how you can have the foresight or hindsight to look back and say, Hey, like these were the things that kind of created this mindset and why I am the way I am. Right. Mm -hmm. And you know, you gotta be open about that. I'm sure that your therapist has been really helpful along that journey, which is she just another testament yeah. to why she opens these doors and he starts saying, Oh, Oh, and he starts, things start clicking. So, and to bring therapy back to sports psychology and all of this now, yeah, right? yeah. Like, what this has allowed me to do all of this, figuring that out, all of it and coaching, like real, really like coaching athletes has really helped with this too. And, and running the schools, all of it. I know exactly who I am. Mm. And when I say I know who I am, it's these really what I like to call neutral things. I'm a father. I'm a teacher. I'm a student. I'm a, I'm a fighter. I'm a survivor. I'm a leader. And all of these things make me enough. Now these things are untouchable. When will I not be my kid's father? Right. I'll always, right. I always will. They're untouchable. There's no outside event that touches these six things, right? If I make, so, you know, you have NC fit and I started Easton online. If Easton online crushes it, let's say just fucking crushes it and makes $10 million a year for me. Does it touch those things? Nope. Right. They're the yeah. same. So there's no, and then on the other side, if Easton online just bombs just bombs it doesn't touch elliot so if nothing can touch elliot if elliot is untouchable right then i can go fail and be successful it opens the space it puts space in between you and an event and as athletes as business people as everything in the world that's what we have to do because that's in from my perspective because it gives us the space to go okay i'm gonna go try to be as skillful as i can and the fear of failure goes away and the I'm great part of success that goes away too, because I am a father. Yeah. You're identifying your, your, who you are is not directly connected to a specific event outcome and what I'm, and that that's a hard pill to swallow, man, especially when you're competing, because for so many years, part of my identity was professional CrossFit athlete. I mean, and just like you, right. And then all mm -hmm. of a sudden at one point, I remember telling myself, I don't remember what year it was. I said, Hey, you know, this will eventually come to an end. I need to make sure that I, I identify, I am more than just this sport. Otherwise I'm having, or the business or whatever it is, because I like what you're saying. It almost gives you space or you said it does give you space to almost fail a little bit and succeed both ways, right? Because if you're so attached to your business and you're so personally like connected to it, 
you might not take certain opportunities because you're afraid of that failure because it's going to directly relate to you. That's a super good business takeaway that I'm, that I'm having right now. So thanks for sharing that. It's really valuable. And I got this from a book in, in Buddhism. It's called Zen and the Samurai. Um, this idea because, and it talks about this, this book talks about for, uh, and it's, it's a bullfight that he uses the analogy in, but as a fighter, where you will shine the greatest, where your greatest skills can shine also rely in the exact same place that you can be killed. They're, they're in the same moment, huh. right? Because if you try to not be killed, then you can't find greatness. You can't, you, you can't, you can be okay. And the farther you move away towards not be killed, where it becomes don't lose, there's no greatness. There's right. If you, if you are not willing to take the risk, no risk, no reward. We've all heard this. That's, that's Buddhism, right? That like where you can die is where you can live. Huh? Yeah. I mean, I guess to equate it to what you did for so many years, it's like fighting, right? If you're not going to go in and try and get some strikes on somebody or go for a rear naked choke or whatever it may be, you're never going to see success. But I mean, there's a lot of correlations to fighting. Yeah. I imagine being in the ring. Yeah. And look, COVID, you're seeing these people who won't leave their house right now. Mm, yeah. They're racked with anxiety, their kids, everything, right? Because they're not living right now. Now you, you can't go fucking throw fucking COVID parties because we don't know where that's going to lead either. <laughs> right. But you have to live a life, right? You have to live a life and you, you can't sit in your house, right? You, you can't do that. COVID's ending here. Hopefully yeah. we need to get back to shaking hands and hugging like you know there's this whole thing when are we going to hug each other man fuck you come give me a hug right because yeah. that's not that risk isn't worth it to me that's yeah. not living the personal connection is huge i mean i yeah. think your your like kind of evolution from a business perspective and an athlete perspective is super cool to see and hear about because of that kind of not not awakening i, I don't know if i should call it that but the perspective i don't shift, know what to right? call it either yeah yeah and and, and and the idea is like so if you're an owner of the gym if you're an owner of a business um you know, this, this concept of like people are giving you an hour of their time is something that I think is so powerful. Like at the end of each class, I always say like when I'm coaching is like, Hey, I really, you could be anywhere you want, but you chose to come in here. And I'm just super grateful for you to be here. I think that every day, if as a coach or as an owner, if we could, if we could put that mindset forward, it gives that gratitude that starts to build the business because people feel it. You know, they feel that emotion from you. I refuse to get paid to teach jujitsu refuse. If you private lessons, don't get paid seminars. I do them and people, we, I either don't get paid. I either do them for free or I donate all the fucking money to a cause. I refuse to get paid to teach jujitsu. And I know what everyone's saying right now, Elliot, you own schools. You, you get paid for jujitsu and that, no, if you come to me, Jason Kalipa, right? A different Jason Kalipa. And he, you yo, man, I fell in hard times and I need two months. I will give you two months at a drop of a fucking hat, right? Because again, I don't get paid to teach jujitsu. We get, I get paid to take you on a life journey. Now this life journey is going to be really long. I can't change your life over two months. Right. I need your whole life. I need your whole life. So yeah, you got to pay for the life journey, but jujitsu, the actual act of coming in and do man, fuck that. If you need, if you need a month, take a month. If you need six months, we'll work something out. Right. And, and what that also does is other people know this. But that you, there's nobody coming to me. Like you, some people go, oh, a whole fucking school will just take fucking advantage of you. And blah, right. blah, blah. No, nobody does. Yes, yeah, so nobody your, does. Your perspective on it is if you go, if you go into the gym and you're coaching class 
or you go, a seminar is a good example, right? You go put on a mm -hmm. seminar, you donate the money to charity, which, you know, I think excellent, right? But the idea is that people are paying you and your instructors, really your instructors and your school per se, mm -hmm. um, for this kind of, for this life changing uh, journey versus singular class is what you're really saying. Or jujitsu. You, you yeah. ju man, jujitsu is so good, dude. The best teachers in the world have their shit out for sale on the internet. You would think that that would create people not coming to a school and right. right. You would think that would create like, you know, quote unquote boys clubs where dudes just get together and learn jujitsu and like practice the moves on the internet, you know, but that's not what's happening. No, you want them to be about Easton. You want them yeah. to be about your culture because they help you guys through. COVID. And you need a teacher and I need a teacher, right? So I need to be someone's teacher and I need to be someone's student back to my, I am, I am a teacher. I am a student. So if someone is, you know, looking for a school, right? Um, you know, there was a while where CrossFit just blew up. And, you know, again, mm -hmm. I was, I was really honored to be a part of that. And like 2010, 11, 12, we saw massive growth. And now I feel like I'm seeing that in jujitsu. And, and again, I'm an outsider, but I, mm -hmm. but I, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in the world a little bit. Do you feel like that's kind of like the inflection point for jujitsu is, is like maybe a, a year or two ago or, or right now? Yeah, we're there now. You're there now, right? We're there now. And we, and that's why we created Easton online. Right. And so Easton tell me on, more about Easton online. Easton online is this platform where we help other school owners become more skillful at their schools. Mm. We start with core values, establishing core values for a school and how they onboard students, how they bring people into the school. Cause this is, can be very hard for people, you know? And I mean, I got a great compliment the other week about it, you know, uh, or, you know, I, I have this guy that I consult with and he was like, um, two weeks ago, he was like, so, uh, this is really great. And I'm really glad you're helping me, but I think I, I think I have to start the affiliation and pay you. Right. You know, cause he had bought a course that was his way in, you know? And I was like, no, nah, man, you got one more week. We'll talk about payment next week, you know? And I think he was really nervous now hearing all this because he was on this other people's platform before he joined ours, you know? And so, you know, next last week came and we start talking, we, we do our meeting and I'm like, all right, man, well, here's the price. It's, it's, you know, the affiliations, this it's 400 bucks a month. And he goes 400 bucks a month. He goes, I was paying 350 bucks a week for these other people. And they didn't give me half of what you right. do. He's like, you're too cheap. I was like, no, man, I'm not too cheap. He's like, no, really, Elliot, you're too cheap. I would easily pay 1500 a month for this. I was like, yeah, but I want you to make money. Yep. I don't yep. want your money. Right. 400 is good. You yeah. Know? We want, we, we want you to be successful. Right. I, I like 400 is good. Like there's one level up and it's 700 and he doesn't need that. And you know, but, uh, 400 is good. 400 yeah. a month is good. I want, I, the goal is, is shifting the perspective in the martial arts world, right? The goal is making more, mar making martial arts schools more skillfully. Now, look, if I do that well enough, then I'll have a thousand people paying $400 a month. And to, the, to each one of them, it's nothing, right? To each one of them, it's nothing. It goes back to like what you asked me before with like the PPP thing in the beginning. Sure, I could get it, but do I need it, right? Do I need it? Do I need to do that? Do I need to break someone's back, right? right. Do I need to take advantage of what I could get? And maybe I'm wrong. Maybe I'll pay for all of this. I, I'm not sure, you know, maybe, maybe, I don't know what will happen, but what I know is I, when I put my head down on the pillow at night, I know exactly who I am. I sleep comfortable and I'm not in it for money. I'm, I'm in it to, 
to, in a greater sense, have everyone, what I like to say, find your power, right? Like this thing that makes you amazing in the world. I do it through martial arts, right? I mostly do it through martial arts. You know, like if you want it deepest with me, that, that's where we're headed. Um, and that could be with the martial arts school. And I want you to find your power. Find, here, here are our systems. Yes, of course you have to pay. Right. You know? Can't give them away for free. I'm not going to kill you. And I hope you crush it. Right. I fucking hope you, I can't, I mean, I hope you're at home. I hope in 10 years that you have it set up. Like I have it set up where I get to go teach and only have to teach. I don't got to do shit. Right. Like I get to like make the videos, like, you know, and I got to go in five minutes is we got to go yeah. film, but I got that from you. You gave me that and you didn't charge me a penny for that. Right. You just <laughs> gave it to me. And now we film every week. Dude. Well, bro, I, I'm, I'm super, you know, my passion has always been a rise of tides for gym owners, coaches, and, and yeah. now we're, we're really, really branching out to the end, end user as well. But it sounds like that's exactly what you want to do. Cause I want the entire industry to thrive. And I, um, dude, I really, I know you got to run and, and yeah. film. I really appreciate uh, your time today. We've dove into a, a bunch of stuff. I, I definitely want to, there's more we could, we could lean into in the future, but for someone that wants to know more about you, your background, maybe they're maybe they're a CrossFit gym owner and they want to go open up a jiu-jitsu school eventually. Maybe they can reach out to you. What's the best place to go? The best place to hit me up is, is my Instagram. It's at firemarshall205. I try to answer everybody on that Instagram. So uh, that's the best place to go find me at. Now, look, I do a lot of personal stuff, right? Where I have like a, a webinar for the personal and mindset and like a little course for people on, on how to start their day and continue through their day. What I like to call the gospel fire, finding your power. So I have that, but you can, the best way to get to me, the webinar is totally free. So go get that off my Instagram. Uh, I put some jujitsu technique out there. I have my book out there, uh, an ebook for free. If you want the audible version, you, you can find everything off my Instagram. Dude. I love it, man. Well, Hey, I appreciate you. Go, yeah, uh, go get after everything. Let's you go film. Hey man, I appreciate it. Right. You, uh, you know, my, my guy, Rory put me in contact with you for my podcast, you know, and then it, it, it shifted me a little bit. So, uh, I don't know. I, I feel like, uh, people, you cross paths with people in the world and it's not even like we ever hang out. Right. Cause you're in California. Like we were going to, and then COVID hit. Right. <laughs> like, but like, uh, you've affected my life, right. You, you, you've touched my life. So more than any, more than anything else, I think that's, that's the greatest thing that you can do for somebody. So man, I really appreciate it. Hey, let's keep getting after it. Thanks, brother. Fuck yeah, man. All right, man. Oh,